Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 1 to 19, starting at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose And went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men 
And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Um, Well, tonight we're going to continue our Here I Am series. And uh, we'll be looking together at Genesis 22 and the, the binding and near sacrifice of Isaac. So let me invite you to keep that open in front of you. And before we come to God's word, let's pray for God to be at work among us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are the fount of all wisdom, and from your mouth comes understanding. So as you speak to us through the scriptures now, we ask that in your grace, you would make our ears attentive to wisdom and would incline our hearts to understanding so that we may receive your words and treasure your commands in true faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we begin to think about what God is saying to us in this text, it doesn't take us long to work out that Genesis 22 is all about God testing Abraham. For those of us who might be unfamiliar with the earlier parts of the Bible, Abraham was a man chosen by God to receive very special promises. And these promises, they were, in effect, God's commitment to save and bless the world, which on account of sin had plunged itself into spiritual and moral darkness and decay and death under the curse of God's judgment. And the book of Genesis unpacks how God begins to work out those promises he makes to Abraham. And in Genesis 22, we find God testing Abraham. Now, this is clear from the very first verse where we read, After these things, God tested Abraham. So it seems natural to me to raise the question, why do we need to know about God testing Abraham? What are we meant to learn from this particular episode in the life of good old Abe? Well, to understand that, I think we need to ask some other questions. Like, what does it mean for God to test Abraham? And why does he do it in the first place? And we have to begin with the answer that it can't be so that God can learn something new that he didn't know before. And God is what theologians like to call omniscient. It's a fancy word which means all-knowing. So we mustn't understand God's testing of Abraham being for God's benefit so that he can learn something he just didn't quite know before. No, instead, this test is for the benefit of the one who is being tested. It is for Abraham's benefit, but it's also for ours as well. As we get to tag along with Abraham and learn the same lessons that he needs to learn. And I want to suggest that there are three ways that this test will benefit Abraham and will benefit us. And firstly, in this test, God will expose Abraham's heart and confirm in him the reality of his faith. And this means that as we journey along with Abraham, God will confirm to us 
the reality of what true, living, saving faith is. Secondly, in this test, God will also provide an opportunity for Abraham to be refined in his faith. And this means that as we experience the test of Abraham through his eyes, we will along with him also be challenged to grow. To grow in our own experience of dependence and trust and reliance upon the Lord. And finally, in this test, the Lord will reassure Abraham in his faith, teaching and confirming to him just how committed God is to, uh, to saving and blessing the world, to keeping his promises. And he's going to do this by gesturing towards how this salvation and blessing will be accomplished. And this means that as we see the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises, we too should go away reassured and, with great, uh, and having great confidence in those same gospel promises. And as we get a glimpse of how this salvation and blessing will be accomplished, it should motivate us to trust in, to cling to, to delight in those gospel promises all the more. So those are the three lessons that this test should teach us. And we're going to learn these lessons as we journey through this text under five main headings. There's going to be the test of faith, the journey of faith, the logic of faith, the confirmation of faith, and finally, the reward of faith. So firstly, the test of faith. Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Look down with me at those verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And the first thing we should notice in verse 1 is Abraham's response to the call of God. Here am I, or here I am. Now this is the title of our series, and it is an expression of Abraham's readiness to respond to the call of God. The Lord calls, Abraham's ready to respond. But what is Abraham ready for? Well, verse 2, we read of the test of faith. As Abraham receives this command from God, Go, take your son, go to the land I will show you, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now this is a call for complete surrender to God. It's as if the Lord is challenging Abraham to trust him, even in the face of Seemingly impossible circumstances. A test to rely and to depend upon God to overcome every obstacle to fulfill his promises, even in the face of death. Now, this is an extreme test. And it is also a unique test. You see, Genesis chapter 22, verse 2 
is God testing Abraham, not us. So it would be both lazy and dangerous to read God's command to sacrifice his son as a direct command to us. The application of Genesis 22 is not go and sacrifice your kids. However, there is something normative, ordinary to Abraham's experience. Abraham is the great father of faith. He's chosen by God to set this pattern of living by faith in the word of God for those who would come after him. And as such, there is something of Abraham's life which is normative. What I mean by that is, all of us here who want to belong to God, we must entrust ourselves to him, to the Lord, even in his often perplexing providence. You see, in similar ways to Abraham, we may find ourselves facing the darkness of a decision or having to bear a heavy burden in obedience to the Lord. And as we do so, as we face the perplexing providence of God, Abraham provides a pattern we must follow. The Lord tests faith. But he also requires total consecration. And devotion. For true faith completely surrenders to God. And we see this in the request that God makes to Abraham. Now, for those of us who maybe are quite familiar with this passage, uh, we might be tempted to kind of summarize our way through the text. And we might summarize God's request as Abraham, go and kill your son. But that's not quite what, Abra- uh, what God says to Abraham. Uh, look down. At verse 2 again, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. You see, this is actually a very particular request because burnt offerings, they had their own very profound theology. They symbolized atonement and being made right with God through the forgiveness of sins. But they also signified total consecration. The whole animal would have been set apart for the Lord. And the whole animal would have been totally consumed by the sacrificial fire. And so in this request then, God is demanding total devotion from Abraham and his family. He wants Abraham and his family to surrender their lives completely to him. And this would give a a whole new level of meaning to the identity of Abraham and his true descendants, his family of promise, that they are to be wholly consecrated to the Lord as the family, as the children of God. And so we learn that true, living, saving faith, it's liable to be tested by God. He does so to confirm the reality of faith, but also to refine our faith. 
And we also learn that true living, saving faith, it requires total consecration, surrender, and devotion to God. Now this is the test of faith. So the question is, how will Abraham do? And that brings us to our second heading, the journey of faith. Look down with me at Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, it's worth saying that there is so much mystery to this passage. We simply do not know how Abraham felt about all of this. The text, it makes no mention, doesn't even make any suggestion of Abraham's inner struggles. I mean, we presume that he had them, but the text makes no mention of them. To say any more than the text gives us would actually just be speculation. We, We don't know how Abraham felt about all of this. We don't know how much he understood. And yet what we do know, what we are told is that Abraham rose early the next morning and he got on with what he needed to do. And that verse, verse 3, it is so matter of fact. We're just told Abraham rose early. He saddled his donkey. He took a couple of guys with him and Isaac, his son. He cut some firewood and he set off. Such Ordinary acts of obedience. Just one foot in front of the other. A real example of resolute faithfulness. Abraham, he doesn't make a fuss, does he? He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't have a moan and a complain with Sarah. He doesn't accidentally leave his knife behind. He doesn't seem to drag his feet along the way. All we're told from the passage is that he acts in accordance with what God had called him to do. Abraham just plods on in his journey of long obedience in one direction. And he also perseveres in his faithfulness. I wonder if you noticed as I read verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes And saw the place from afar. Now this journey, it wasn't a short one. It took three days. That means there was plenty of opportunity for Abraham and Isaac to turn back. And to abandon the test. And yet, Abraham kept going. He endured to the end. And this is the nature of true living, saving faith. It is resolute. It is a resolute and enduring trust In the Lord, which produces a faithfulness and an obedience to his word. It just gets on with it. It gets on with obedience to God. And it perseveres and it doesn't turn back. It will not abandon the ways of God, however strange and however difficult the journey of faith may seem. Well, I wonder if we will do the same when tests and Challenges come our way. When in God's providence we face trials of various kinds. 
Will we be as resolute and steadfast in our faithfulness? Will we put one foot in front of the other and get on with the business of living in accordance with God's word? It will be hard. It will be a challenge. But this is the journey of faith. And so we must ask, well, if that is the journey of faith, if that's what it involves, what can inspire such resolute and enduring faithfulness? Well, that leads us to our third heading, the logic of faith. You see, though we do not know how Abraham felt, we are given some insight into Abraham's thinking, into his inner reasoning. Abraham knows in order to keep his promises, the Lord is going to need to provide a solution that is able to go beyond death, even through death. And so Abraham believes that God will somehow, some way, provide an answer. His confidence is seen in verse 5, where Abraham literally says, we will go over there, we will worship, and we will come again to you. He expresses this confidence that Isaac will be, he must be, spared. And he will return alive. He doesn't know exactly how, but he trusts God will save Isaac. And this confidence is expressed again in verse 8, where in response to Isaac's question, Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. By the way, I don't think that's just a father trying to shut up his son. Oh yeah, God will work it out. Don't worry, son. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. No, this is faith in action. Abraham knows somehow, some way, God will save. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us this is resurrection faith. Abraham is fully prepared to get on with this, to, to sacrifice his son, because he knows that God can raise his son from the dead again. And we can deduce that Abraham's reasoning, it goes something like this. And I know that God has promised to save and bless the world through my family. And I know that he has chosen my son Isaac to carry the promises forward. Which means that either God is going to have to provide a substitute to spare Isaac. Or even if Isaac dies, the Lord will just have to raise him from the dead. And we will both return alive. And this is the logic of faith. This is what drives resolute and enduring faithfulness. I I don't know, I don't know what tests might lie ahead for you in the coming days, weeks, months, years. But I do know that only the logic of faith will strengthen your resolve to keep going in service of the Lord. How can someone endure? In faithfulness to the Lord? How can someone be like Abraham, willing to sacrifice everything, even the, the, the thing they love the most, in their commitment to God? Well, it's only by trusting the Lord, who is both able to keep his promises and is faithful in keeping his promises. It is only as we believe with Abraham. That God's faithfulness, his love, his power 
It is not death do us part, but it is through death and beyond. This is the logic of faith. But I guess we still need to ask, was Abraham's response to Isaac in verse 8 just wishful thinking? I really hope God spares him, and so I'll just tell him that he will. No, he knows God will provide some way, somehow. But are we given any idea, are we given any clue as to how God will provide? Well, that brings us to our fourth heading, the confirmation of faith. Look down with me at verses 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Uh, in these verses, we have the confirmation of Abraham's faith. He's, he's passed the test. And God has judged, he's ruled, that Abraham does indeed fear God. Fear God, that language is an Old Testament expression of, of kind of true faith and piety and, and Godward devotion. And Abraham's faith, it's demonstrated in his works, the fact that he is willing to actually go through with this. Now, we need to be careful here. This isn't the same as saying Abraham is saved by his good works or that in some way Abraham earns God's favor by his good works. But instead it is to say that all of Abraham's obedience, all of his good works, is fueled by his faith. As James says in his epistle, faith without works is useless and dead. Yet faith was active along with Abraham's works. And his faith, it was completed, it was brought to its intended goal by his works. And this is because true, living, saving faith is faithful. It will always produce evidence of a transformed life. Which vindicates and confirms the reality of this faith. And so in these verses, we have the confirmation of Abraham's faith. But we also have the confirmation of God's faithfulness too. For the Lord does provide, just as Abraham trusted he would. Look down at verses 13 and 14 with me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And God's faithfulness, it's seen in the provision of a suitable substitute sacrifice, sparing Isaac. Which actually, it brings us kind of to the crux of the question I began with. Why does God test Abraham? If God always had the intention to provide a substitute, if his plan was always to provide the ram, why put Abraham through the test in the first place? Well, as I said in the introduction, the answer is kind of threefold. We've already kind of looked at two of these. The Lord is confirming the reality of Abraham's faith, and he's also giving an opportunity to refine his faith, 
We've seen that already. But actually, most of all, the Lord is reassuring Abraham. He's reassuring Abraham by teaching Abraham just how committed God is to keeping his promises to save and bless the world through Abraham and his offspring. And he does this by gesturing towards how this salvation and this blessing will be accomplished. We could say God is giving Abraham a a prophetic preview, a picture of what God will do to save and bless his world. And according to this prophecy, this picture, this preview, the near sacrifice of Isaac, the picture that the near sacrifice of Isaac gives, it will be through the Lord's provision of a true substitute sacrifice. Um, Someone who can die in the place of God's people as an atoning sacrifice for sins. And therefore, someone in whom the world can be consecrated to God and blessed. So we could say this event is is salvation in seed form. It teaches us the theological solution to being under the judgment of God. And it instructs us in veiled mystery the way to true salvation and blessing. Because our sin is an offense to the Lord, because in Adam we have come under the condemnation of God, we need to be made right with him. We need to be consecrated to him. And therefore, like Isaac, we need a substitute sacrifice on our behalf. In fact, the problem is, the blood of rams and bulls and goats only could ever symbolize atonement. Even for Isaac, they were not effective in their own right. They're not able to take away sin. They are merely visual aids, teaching theology and pointing to a greater sacrifice to come. We could say uh, they were like a credit card, able to make some down payments, but always looking forward to that future day when the full payment would have to be accounted for. Therefore, we need a greater sacrifice, one who can make full payment for our sins. A true representative who can bear our sins for us and can stand in our place before the judgment of God. And in this way, the sparing of Isaac, just like the Passover in Exodus and the whole sacrificial system to follow, it draws our attention forward. It draws our hearts forward to the sacrifice of Christ. The one who fulfills the theology of sacrifice fully. No, the one through whom the whole world can have their sins atoned for. The one through whom they can be consecrated to God. The one in whom the whole world can be saved and blessed. And even Abraham, even Abraham way back then, seems to perceive that this event with Isaac, it points forwards 
beyond itself to the greater fulfillment to come. That's why he names the place, not the Lord has provided, but the Lord will provide. Abraham, in some way, gets it. Uh, This then is the confirmation of faith. But it's also the confirmation of God's faithfulness. Just as God promised he would to Abraham, he will preserve Abraham's family line until it culminates in Jesus the Messiah, the one who will fulfill all of God's promises, the one who will bring salvation and blessing to the world. And so these verses, they point us to the main application of Genesis 22. Not sacrifice your kids, but simply to marvel at, to delight in, and to trust the promise of Abraham, the gospel promises of God. No, this test, it wasn't a sick joke from a monstrous God, but it was a prophetic picture of surprising grace given to Abraham and through Abraham to us so that we might know something of what God has done for us and this world in Jesus, his son. And when we realize just how committed God is to saving and blessing you and this world, when we see how he did not spare even his own beloved son, but gave him up for us, How can that not change the way that we live? How can we not give everything to follow the God of Abraham and Isaac? But if this was not enough to inspire and motivate us to live by faith in the promises of God, then our final heading should certainly push us on into that direction. Because our final heading is the reward of faith. And we're going to land here. Because in the, vi- in the final verses of this text, um, God, he, he renews and he confirms and he even amplifies his promises to Abraham. He, he promises, again, to preserve Abraham's family until one comes who will have total victory over this world. Until one comes who will fulfill all of God's promises, who will redeem humanity who will redeem creation. But he not only reassures Abraham by giving him this kind of prophetic picture, he also reassures Abraham by swearing an oath. Now God swears an oath that he will indeed fulfill all his promises. And he does so to show more convincingly the unchangeable character of his purpose. Um, To best illustrate this, I'm going to just pinch an illustration from another preacher I listened to in my prep because I just thought it was brilliant. And I thought it just helps bring this down uh, to our level and illustrates this perfectly. And he tells the story of a promise between a father and a son. And as the story goes, the father makes this wonderful promise to his son that one day they will together go on a hot air balloon ride. Does that sound wonderful? Father and son. Now the kid, he was delighted. And excitedly, he he just could not wait to tell his friends at school the next day. But the next day, when the boy told his friends about his dad's promises, 
They, they didn't believe him. They said to him, it's too expensive to go on a hot air balloon ride. Your dad couldn't afford that. Another kid said, it's too dangerous. Your parent would never take you on that. Well, over the day, the kid became more and more dejected. And so when he got home, he, he rushed to see his dad. And the boy asked his father, Dad, are we really going on the hot air balloon ride? Well, what do you do at that point as a father? Do you scold your son? How dare you not believe my promises? How dare you doubt me? No. Instead, he stoops down. He looks his son in the eyes. And he confirms his promise again. Son, I swear we will go on the hot air balloon ride. And here's the little confirmation ticket. We're going. He swore that he really would keep his promise, not because the promise was ever in doubt, but because the son needed the reassurance. And in a similar way, God reassures Abraham and us by swearing this oath. God stoops down and says to us, I really will keep my promises. And so we must believe that promise that God made to Abraham, those gospel promises. For finally, God also draws the connection between faith and the promises that he's made. Because in verse 16, God says this, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Now this verse, it teaches us that it is because Abraham has faith that he will receive the promises of God. The blessing of God's promise, that is the reward of faith. And so my final challenge for us tonight is, we must demonstrate that same faith that Abraham had. And we must trust in those gospel promises that God has made. For this is what it means to live our lives in Christ. This is what it means to live a truly Christ-like life. We are to have true, living, saving, faithful faith. A faith which is totally consecrated and devoted to God. A resolute and enduring trust in the Lord who will and has provided that true substitute sacrifice in whom the whole world is saved and blessed. It's a faith that's liable to be tested in the perplexing providence of God but it is a faith which is confirmed and refined by the Lord in those tests. And it is a faith which will receive the blessings of God. So let us pray that we would learn the lessons of Abraham's test. That we would trust and entrust ourselves to the Lord who is faithful. Let's pray together. Loving and sustaining God. You call us to obedience and to follow you in all things. To give up the things we cling to and to give ourselves wholeheartedly to your purposes. But we confess that we don't always find this easy to do. Even still, we know that you stand ready at all times to sustain us and to provide everything we need for life and salvation. Give us the courage, therefore, to faithfully follow your leading, even when we cannot see the outcome, 
Even when the path you call us to seems impossible to comprehend, help us to trust you in all things and to let go of everything that would stand in the way of wholehearted obedience to you. Help us to live faithfully for him this week, we pray. And may we know the blessing of your love through him more and more. For we pray it for our good, but most of all, for his glory. Amen.